0: Hello folks and welcome to another SACPA session. SACPA acknowledges that this event takes place on the Black on the lands of the Blackfoot people in the Metis Nation of Alberta, Region three, and we pay respect to their past, present and future cultural heritage, beliefs and relationship to the land. SACPA commits to assist reconciliation efforts by raising awareness of the ways, past and present injustices can be reconciled. Today, we're very happy to introduce with us Madi and Janelle Tahiri. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, Madi and Janelle met six years ago through a high school friend who deployed, who deployed four times to Afghanistan for the United States military. It was through a friend of a friend on social media that brought them together. Mahdi spent many years serving as a combat interpreter and cultural linguist for the US Special Forces after serving eleven years in the Afghan Special Forces Unit, referred to as the Commandos for the Afghan National Army. After narrowly escaping the Taliban's initial attempt to take over his home of Herat, Mahdi was able to secure a seat in the last flight on of his city, out of his city, for Cabot. Janelle works in safety for the oil and gas industry for many years. She also owned a gym in a small town in B.C. Maddie and Janelle are now married and he's in Canada having crossed the border on April 11th, welcome to Canada, and learning to settle into life in northern B.C. with friends, family and a community that has pulled together to support him. Janelle is in the process of hiring on with BC Ambulance as a paramedic, and Mari will be opening a small engine repair shop once all his paperwork goes through. Welcome, both of you, to SACPA. And we look very much forward to your talk.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Go,
2: go ahead. OK, sorry. I am... I'm Janelle, and this is Madi, and we're Hi. very happy to, to speak with you guys. Um, uh, Do you want to talk about... Uh,
1: you like, started. How we met?
2: We met online. Um, it was actually a uh, curiosity on my part. I had been in a previous relationship where the man was ex-military and he had opened my eyes to a couple of global issues that I, you know, I was not aware of. And so um, after that relationship didn't last very long, I started uh, the Paris bombings happened and things like that were hap- were raising awareness within global regions, but also within our own um, country as well. So I wanted to know what the media wasn't telling me or what the people didn't know. And so I started researching. And that is how I ended up connecting with Mahdi because through the World Wide Web, and eventually, we started engaging into um, just questions. Every day, I had a question for him. You know, um, a lot breaking a lot of cultural cultural barriers, breaking a lot of assumptions, both like the West has of the East and the East of the West, and it was a good year of. Every day talks and every day just no holds bar on any question that you could ask. And so we got to know each other really well. And uh, in the process, we, I think we both grew and we both um, were in a place where we needed answers and we just helped each other out and in growing personally in our own journeys. And so Marty can talk about his, his previous journey, but uh, that's where I came from as as we were starting to talk because I felt like my world was too um, insulated via uh, the media. Growing up in a small town in Northern Canada, I did travel a little bit, but it wasn't until after I met him that I was able to... Um, break some of those barriers so do you want to check
1: that? yeah we uh met online actually we've been a friend for like almost like a uh, six month and we just sometimes i'm mean, same sometimes i always like her picture she liked my picture she leave comment i left comment for her and finally uh one day she texted me first and wants to know what's going on. Like, uh, why How are you like who I am and why these guys like my picture all the time, which is very, a small, uh, Instagram page, not, not something like specific in it, like, a like, a my, my, my type is like, it has to be like a gun or motorcycle or like a fast That's vehicle, true. you know, but I just told her like, yeah, I like you. I, I mean. <laughs> I have a feeling about <laughs> about you and I and I see you and I wanna know you more. And I asked her to be just talk to me if it's possible. That then yeah, we call. I mean we make a phone call.
2: And I asked him every question. I asked him everything that you can think of that you would ask of Afghanistan. I asked it. I started reading books. I started um listening to audio, um, YouTube videos and everything that I could, so that I could understand and I was a security risk. And then what happened was I asked him, the, um, uh, the San Bernardino bombings happened, and I asked him for three Western references because I said I didn't want Homeland Security knocking on my door. So, <laughs> so he gave them to me and they were uh, members of his team that he had served with back in 2011, 2012. Yeah. Nine. Nine, and so we have been friends since, and that is where I just took on the took on the responsibility, or I I felt it was a responsibility on my part to uh, ask. Don't be afraid to ask the question because this these were serious um, barriers we were breaching and new um, new subjects that I just needed to know that were security possible security risks. So. We, did, we went through that. Then we ended up going to India. Mahdi, Mahdi has um, comes from a family of five kids. Did you want to talk about that? You were a refugee before you grew up?
1: Yeah. I mean, after we talk more and more, she, I asked her to come see me and we see each other. But uh, me and her actually decided she came to Afghanistan to see me. But then my family said, no, because it's not going to be safe for her. I mean, that time Afghanistan was not bad that in that way, because I'm from the big city and city was a safe, but we like, if she want to came here, we don't want to keep her in the house, like a prisoner and don't tell anyone. Marty girlfriend or Marty future wife is here. We don't want to hide her. And that's why we both decide to go to the india like i like fly from afghanistan to india and she's from fly from canada to to india and that was actually a good option that was a good my family suggestion to go to india and it's gonna be like a quieter and we are gonna see the india too i never seen the india and she never did see the india before that
2: plus also it was a western a western connection that i could have a backup you know i had backup plans just in case <laughs> and i was so i remember coming off the plane i was thinking he was so oh what if he's short but <laughs> but he wasn't he's not
1: she always telling me <laughs> am i gonna see the guys very short under my neck and can say hi to me and it's gonna be you i'm like no i'm gonna be taller than you trust me which is i'm few inches taller.
2: <laughs> anyway, so the we ended up moving on from there and we tried to go back to India a few times, but then COVID hit. We had our trip booked in January of 2020, but then due to his team was busy with the missions and stuff, so he was working in Jalalabad at Camp Dyer. And so we postponed it till April. And then of course, May or March was when COVID hit. And so we were trying to get him to come to Can to Canada, but that's a really hard process. We did apply and then for him to become for a visitor's visa. But then he ended up going through the SIV process, which is a special immigrant visa work uh, for those who worked for the United States military. And um, the his visa, that process had been... Uh, it's a two-year process typically, but yours took a total of like.
1: Like, like I have to. that for the person need to work two years, two months, to eligible to apply for that process. Which is I was eligible for that to complete. Right. The, yeah.
2: So he ended up um, going, being approved, went through all his security clearances, and then as of um, I, July. First, he was given the email that his visa was ready to be picked up, and he was coming to the U.S. for the the 11th. So, at this In time, July 2021. 2021. No, July
1: 2020. Well,
2: 2021.
1: Oh, yeah, July 2021.
2: 2021. Yeah. Last one. Yeah. So then, uh, but at this time, Afghanistan was getting pretty precarious, and because the
1: U.S. was uh, pulling out. Pulling out, yeah, announcing to Pauling out.
2: Right, and um, Herat was getting, he's from Herat, which is on southwest. the
1: west, west, southwest,
2: southwest, coast, southwest, not
1: coast, southwest of the Afghanistan,
2: close to Iran, and it was getting to be quite, the security risk was increasing, plus his mom was awaiting open heart surgery in the, in Iran, and so he had lots of, you um, Responsibility to try and get her to safety, get his sister to his sister and brother to safety, and yet still get that last, like at the time, the last plane out to get to Kabul to pick up his visa because they weren't sure at the um, the airport was being closed down um, for security reasons, and so he ended up um, leaving very abruptly uh, to Kabul. Yeah. to go pick up your visa did you want to talk about this part
1: yeah uh july 9th i left Herat, on july 11th uh, july 10 i was so happy i buy my ticket also to, to the united states to the united states and Ju- july 9th i called my friend i told him listen here's the money i'm gonna send you money and i want you to go to the agency and buy me the ticket for to the united states which is my ticket was Fly from Kabul to Turkey and the Turkey to Boston, Boston, and to Boston, North Carolina, North Carolina to the Charlotte airport. And the ticket was already bought on July 10th. I would just spend time with my friend in Kabul and
2: just keep talking.
1: Wow goodbye to my friend and hanging out with my friend July 11 uh, I went to the uh, US embassy in Kabul which is the day was my pickup visa at that uh, time and Afghanistan was
2: falling fast.
1: yeah and Afghanistan was always almost falling fast like a far as the street from the bigger city keep falling down and my ticket was on the July 13 to fly out and the agency, my friend, buy a ticket, they already say the ticket, uh, the ticket gonna be not refinable. Are you guys agree with? My friend, they talk, call me, before, uh, like when you're uh, in the process to buy a ticket. I said, yes, go ahead, buy it, because I'm gonna get out of this country too. But July 11, I went to NBC and I walked in, after the checkpoint and the search, I walked in and hand over my phone and all the like they you're not allowed to take anything with you in inside the embassy the security is very very like a high risk then finally i went in with so much wishes so happy so excited i'm gonna get my visa which is i spent a lot of money for it and i just spent so many years for it and i'm so excited and i'm waiting for it a lot yeah and also i'm gonna see her because she can came to the U.S. easily I walk to the embassy and I'm in the counter and they call my name I walk from the counter the immigration officer show me my passport and I'm so excited yeah they show me my passport they open my passport and the page of the visa and they say is that you I'm like yes Maritari and I, I can see my visa, but I can't really see the, the stamp they put on my visa, which is, it's very weird. I can't see it really. It's like a few feet, but I can't really see it. But I can see there's something on my visa. It's like a stamp. And I said, yes, that's me. He brought it closer to me and handed it to
2: me.
0: Okay, it seems like Skype's hung up on us, bear with us folks, and we'll try and reconnect looks like we've lost the Skype connection. I'm trying to connect with them over uh, another medium to see if they can call in again. Sorry about that technological hiccup. We'll just keep trying for a few minutes.
2: yeah i don't know what happened it just it just shut off
0: all right we're back on um we kind of left off with you we kind of left off hanging there in your story because uh skype disconnected just as you were they were handing the visa with you so i felt like it was a cliff it. it was a cliffhanger yeah yeah
1: yeah. And are we live now? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The, the officer, uh, handed to me the visa from that gap under the counter, handed to me and I open it and I see the visa now in my passport, actual visa, but with a stamp on it, biggest stamp black say canceled without prejudice. I'm like, excuse me. What is that? He's like, because there was uh, almost 20 or 25 people left, uh, and they waiting to pick up the visa, and it's almost 4 or 3.30 afternoon, and he's like, uh, sorry, we don't have time right now to explain you, but we will let you know what's going on, but at this time, we can't do anything, and your case back to the administering process. I'm like, But I need an answer. I already buy my ticket. I need to leave. I'm not from the Kabul, and I have no place to live here, and I just packed my whole stuff to leave the country. Why are you guys doing this? He's like, sorry, it's not me. Someone else made the decision, and right now you just need to leave, and we can't help.
2: Plus, they were evacuating the embassy. They were closing the embassy. They, they were not- evacuating
1: people and also embassy, like evacuating people. Like, these people already got a visa but don't have a money to buy a ticket and leave the country. The United States just helping them to leave. And they don't have time for if someone got issues with this visa or something. They just put it at on the at on the, on the last if they going to help but they just going straight just help the people is on the line and their stuff is or the document is clean but that was not my problem that was a kind of uh, some paperwork issues to someone did it during the process yeah but when they go back through to the visa to when they issue the visa and they're gonna hand it to you they say oh there's issues oh let's cancel this we're gonna fix this later uh, but that i was on the very a uh, bad time and Afghanistan wasn't falling and falling and falling. Yeah, then I left the embassy and as soon as I get my phone from the, from the gate, security gate, I call her. She was waiting kind of half sleep, half-wake, waiting, like, waiting for my good news. Yeah, and I show her my visa and I'm like, you know, this is what's going on. She's like, what's going on? I'm like, I can't leave country and this is what happened. He's like, why? What happened? Did you talk to them? I'm like, they didn't give me any answer.
2: He was so heartbroken. In fact, he told me this was the last time he was gonna talk to me because there was no way that he can fix it in time. His country was falling.
1: Then you went back home. Yeah, um, then I walk him back that is street. That is street walk uh drive through to the embassy, it's a long distance, and they keep that very, very secure to and not really vehicle can't go to that uh, road. It's has to be like two, two and a half kilometers to you walk out from that uh, road end up to the embassy. And my three, three of my friend, which is one of them taxi driver, he was there waiting for me on the actual road. And I walked to the car with my friend and I'm, they're so happy. And they waiting for me, I t- took them to the restaurant and the the dinner gonna be on me because i have my visa yeah and i told them guys my visa is cancelled they're like what they're so confused they're like what we should do what we should do let's do the inquiry let's do the ask they call the embassy i'm like for now nothing's working and what i did and me and my friend we back to the the ticket agency And we told them to cancel my ticket. But they said, we already told you guys the ticket not going to be refundable. Sorry. What they, uh, they said, what we can do, you have to pay $200 extra to be extend your ticket to the next month or next two months. And we extend it for the next 45 days to hopefully get an answer from the embassy and then rebook it again. Then I fly back home that uh, day after there
2: was a, there was an uprising from a local warlord that pushed back the Taliban. So yeah,
1: was Herat we, are we are not there, you' not there. I but, back home,
2: Yeah.
1: I back home and I was home and my home was a district, uh, 15 kilometers away from the central city, but very kind of bad area at that time, because it's a village and it's always. Anytime the bad things happening in my town, it's a start from that village and that little district. And um, every night we can hear the gunshot getting closer and closer to my house, which is my house also close to the river called Pashtun Pole, it's a bridge. And also my house is like a 50 meter away or maybe 50, or 100 yards from the united nation compound which is the united nation in my town was located where i live very close and i remember was a that uh, the date was a, maybe august 1st or something or august 5th i'm not really in, but somewhere starting august that was 10 o'clock at night my that friend which is that time my dad uh, working for the police headquarters and Herat, and his commander actually his upper commander friend he called my dad 10 o'clock at night and when my dad answering the phone call uh i can't hear my dad talking with him it's a weird conversation uh, the guy my dad friend tell him telling him if something's going to happen and if you hear the gunshot and uh, bombing and stuff, uh, it's gonna go bad. Herod about to fall down, just go to the basement. And my dad keeps keep repeating, say, go to the basement, why?" Then he's hanging up the phone. I asked my dad, what's going on? Who was he? My dad said, my friend from the police headquarters and say Herat is about to fall down and the Taliban ready to attack the city now, because they already have, they're already occupying and taking all the districts from the government. Only the city is left, but the city is a big city, it's a four million people in the city. But there's a, what happened that night, there was an uprising, one of the old, previous Mujahid and his leader was in the Herat. He is still alive, but he was there. But the Taliban was worried the people uprising, which is lead by that Mujahid leader, name is Ismail Khan. He is waiting in the city for the Taliban. That was the Taliban's gas. That's why that night they didn't attack the city. I walked to the roof of the house, which is I was in the summer and the uh, warm time to- uh, warm season i always sleep on the rooftop with the tent and i walk to the rooftop try hear what's going on that night was the one of the quietest night in my life in that city in my town because i hear nothing from the city like there was no car which is my house is close to the highway I can hear, hear no semi-truck, no bird, even no dog barking. That was a quiet. It's like a zombie land because everything was shut down and everybody was run away to their house and be quiet because they are scared the Taliban is gonna attack, going to attack to city tonight. That night was over, finally, and tomorrow. My brother, he drive to the town, which is there's a two police checkpoint close to my house under the bridge. And my brother drive there early in the morning and he come back home. He said, There's no cops, there is no government, there's no police, there's no army in this checkpoint. They already left this checkpoint last night. But that night the Harad didn't fall down. Five days later, and but the Taliban keep pushing and pushing the city try to so take over the city and a few days later I was at the at the my shop uh, at the work which is was a motorcycle business and mechanic shop and one of my friends came to me and he said let because he already know where I'm living and he said listen go take your family take your uh, family from home and bring him to the city like it inside the city because that area going to be taken by the Taliban. They're ready to big attack. I'm like, how do you know that? He said, my friend live in the, that village, that bad village, which is already uh, fighting it, They are left and the Taliban keep pushing them, which is that village from my house is 30 minutes. I drive back home and, uh, I told my mom, just take what is stuff you need. And I took my mom and sister, but my brother said, I'm not going to leave the house. This is the house we actually built after many years. It's a brand new house. There's Our stuff is here. I'm not going to leave. I stay in the house. You take mom and sister and you don't need to come back. I stay in the house. I called my dad. I said, this is what's going on. He said, yes, it's okay. I'm going to come back home and stay with your brother. But uh, you take your mom and sister to the city. I drive to the city to my big, big brother house, which is his house. It was in the central of the city, kind of safe. And to then it's go very bad, actually. It's getting very worse. We can hear the uh, big gunshot and heavy bombing and maybe the rocket firing. Uh, Even in the city, you can hear
2: and your security risk yeah
1: and i'm hiding myself because i every herat is a big city but a lot of people know me too because i work i serve for the military for my military for 11 years and they know i work as a linguist for the american for many years but the ways they know me more because i have a business side too I'm, I'm a part of the motorcycle racing in my town and people know me. And, and they need money. Yeah. They, they going to sell me Yeah, the people looking to find people like me to sell it to the Taliban and just make money. And I'll call my friend. My brother actually told me my bigger brother he's two years older than me. He told me, listen, can you leave Herat and go to Kabul? And just live in the Kabul, see what's going to happen to Herat. Because Herat is very bad now. And that's a capital. That's a Kabul. It's going to be safer. All the government is there. And some Americans are still there. And it's going to be safe for you. Because you're going be to be threat for yourself and the family. You're going to put yourself in trouble and the family. i called my friend ticket agency. And he said, there's no flight. There is a fight around the airport of Herat and there's no really good flight but I will put you on my list the soonest flight open I will call you and for two days I hiding myself in my big big brother house in the city for two days I'm just not leaving the house just live on the third floor of my big big brother house My mom and sister there, and my big big brother. He already he's a military and he is in the corps in the Herat, in the military unit. I telling him you need to come back home and leave your job, but he said no. I am gonna stay and this is my job and I have a responsibility. I'm like okay, it's on you. The day third morning, I just kind of upset to what's going on. And I have nothing to do here anymore. I call my ticket agency friend. I say, there's any good news about the flight? He said, it's good to you call me because there's a two flight and the airport is open, just open and there's a two flight going to Kabul. I'm gonna put you in the first flight. But I said, what time? He said, two o'clock, just get in the airport. And it's already 11 o'clock and I just run out to the house, find a taxi, the taxi in my town. It's not like an Uber. You have to go walk in the street to find a taxi. Walk in the street, I find a taxi. I said, airport, he said, he gave me a very big price. I'm like, why? He's like, that road is very bad. The Taliban is on it and it's war. It's bad there during the airport because it's a district. And he's give me like a double price for the taking me to the airport. I'm like, it's OK. But from there, he took, uh, because my house is a uh, my, the highway going to the airport, it's also going to my house. I drive to my house and my brother was so disciplined. and I can't sleep I'm like I'm going to Kabul he's like just go just leave this town it's not safe for you I grabbed my daffle bag I put in a taxi I drive to the airport when I when I went to the airport the drive-through was line of the vehicle like a lot of vehicle on the line tried to get inside the airport I see there's no way I'm going to be late. I, I left the, I left the taxi. I grabbed my duffel bag, which was a military duffel bag, very heavy. I grabbed that with my backpack. I run into the airport. When I walked to the airport salon, lot of people, it's like a thousands people inside the airport try to leave Herat. And most of them, 90% was the people, like they're Afghan citizens for the other country. They're stuck in the Herat. They have no way to leave. And some white people, black people, I'm like, what are these people doing here? And they waiting for the flight and all the ticket got canceled and mixed up. But finally I left Herat with my flight. Flight after me was a 30 minutes after me, was it the second flight got canceled because the fight is stopped on the airport. And I didn't tell Janelle, but when I left her message, say, I'm leaving Herat to the Kabul. But then I fly out to the Kabul. Then when she woke up, she saw my message. Then I left her message and say, I'm in Kabul. Don't worry. I'm, I'm in Kabul and it's safer.
2: You might want to just wrap up quickly about just crossing
1: the gate like just i've been in the Kabul for 10 days don't know what to do also united the state military not the united States military department of state they put me on the relocation they sent me the email on the relocation process but the relocation process was so mixed up too like it's all so kind of messed up and they can't really ca- find people where they are and tracking people they relocate some people but I was on that list, but they didn't contact me back. Then Kabul fell down in the August 15. Before that, I know it I need to leave this country, but no matter where, even India, Dubai, Turkish, but I I went to some ticket agency and India embassy, but I can't find the visa. Packed of people waiting for visa and leaving Afghanistan. Then August 15, Kabul was fall down and I am living with my friend and he's a linguist too, but he's in the United States now and we don't know what to do. His brother linguist too, he's in the United States. We don't know what to do, the Kabul is fall down and we are living in the apartment complex and we are, yeah, we are seeing the Taliban just driving around our house on the street, their flag, I and mean, we like, what are we gonna do? And I'm in also contact with the people, try to uh, find a way to put me in the flight manifest. Janelle actually digging, looking everywhere, every possibility to take me out of the Afghanistan. Finally, my friend, uh, Mark Syverson, Lieutenant Colonel Mike Syverson, I worked with him when he was a captain. I worked with him in 2018 as a, when he was a major in Afghanistan, but now he's a mighty colonel. But that time he was a lieutenant colonel and he worked for the, that time he was working for the NATO Special Operation Headquarters in the Belgium. And he has been contacted me. Many, many other American friends contact me and they say what they can do, but they can't actually do anything. But he knows someone inside the Ichkaya Kabul airport and the lieutenant colonel from the 82nd Airborne army and he contact him and he said if he can reach reach out to the gate there's a possibility we can get him in because there's a thousands people on the street to the airport and on the gate like it's for the one meter or two feet walk it's gonna takes one hour because they nobody lets you go in people just stand in front of each other but on the august 18th uh, my and I don't know how to go to the airport. I'm so scared to leave the house. But I told my friend, "Listen, sitting in the house is not gonna help. You and I gonna call. I'm gonna call that our taxi driver friend, and he's gonna take us to the airport. But my taxi driver friend, he was from Kabul originally, and he knew all the small street alley, and like a, some uh, the the road is not going to the Taliban checkpoint." And he knew all the road is to the end of the airport. And what he did, he did a very good job, but we end up to the one checkpoint, but the Taliban was just looking for gun. They opened my bag and they took a, uh, took a look into it. And I have my military badge, but they're under my bag. But they just take a look, they see nothing. They close it, but they said they're looking for the gun. Yeah, but, and when we end up to the airport, my friend and you can see there's no way to this taxi go through more and we say goodbye to him and he's when we start walking to the airport when we start walking to the airport that gate was picking up the people name was abbey gate we have some video and picture to hopefully share you guys later we walked to the airport to the abbey gate and that time august 18th Who, who was allowed or who they, how they let people in the people got a visa uh, or a passport from the Western country, American green card. That's it. They call and I saw the guy on the gate. He is a, they brought the vehicle, the inside, inside the gate, they brought the vehicle closer. They can stand up on it to talk to the people, see how many people got a Western passport or visa from this country or American green card or other Western country permanent residency, which is their African. And I talked to one of the guy, he was on the door and I told him, I have a visa. He's like, just hang on. And I have my friend with me and I'm half like. That guy was helped me a lot, and I worked with him as a linguist for two years. He's like my family. They take care of me a lot, but he is scared to leave, and he's behind me. He's a short, time, not a short, but he's a very tiny guy. And I all this process getting to the uh, gate, it takes three or four hours, might be five hours. He is close to me. I have him, but he is getting separate from me, and I'm telling him to stop get separate from me. The gate going to get open. We're going to push ourselves inside the gate. The first time I was about to go, the, the gate got open. I was about to go in, but then I look behind me and I saw him. He is separate from me, like uh, almost 10 feet. And if I go in, he is not going to be able to get inside. Then I turn my face get punched in the face by the British soldier. That time, the British military, they're running their operation to get their citizen insight and getting this European citizen insight. I said, why are you punching me? He's like, you push it in a, in a British accent. I can't say it, but he's like, you push yourself to the gate. I'm like, I didn't. But he punched me in the face. That was not her. Really? But I was upset why he punched me in the face. And I turned back. I told my friend, why you didn't get close to me? He's like, I don't want to go. I don't know what to do. That was so dangerous. I'm like, stay close to me. The second attending I wanted to try to get inside the gate was not possible. Because the British soldier sawing there's more people pushing. And they brought more soldiers. And... They just make a, like a line in front of the people, and there's no way to getting inside for the second attending. And we walk back to that shadow. That was a hot day. It's August. And we walk back, sitting in the shadow. There was a guy who was selling ice cream. We buy some ice cream and some water. And I talked to my friend, Mike Cyrus, in. I said, sir, I'm going back home and come back at night might be that time i can get inside the gate he's like you are not going anywhere just wait just he said, go to the gate there's a guys on the tower calling you name jj what happened i hang up the phone i told my friend let's go there's a guy's waiting for us then it's like a it's like a gap it's like a little bit of river just the trash water going uh from the airport going to the some other side but there's a gap we can just jump from that it's a massive it's like a 10 feet long but I can hear the guy on the tower he's American calling JJ who is JJ and I'm like it's me but he can't hear me then I walk through to the gate my friend is in front of me I have my friend behind me and I'm in front of him and he keep now I'm close to the gate like a 25 feet or 20 feet, getting closer and closer. And he said, Who is JJ? I'm like, it's me. Then, like, gate open. Gate open. And he's like, Are you JJ? I'm like, it's me. He grabbed my shoulder. He pulled me inside. And I grabbed my friend. I don't want to leave him. We get inside the gate, but I thought we are gonna be only people get on get inside the gate. Look behind me. It's like a zombie movie, like a the gate opening or like a the door like a broken and the zombie attacking people like a like a storm getting inside the gate like a uh, my opinion was a when they opened the gate to take me inside more than 500 people get inside the gate, that gate yeah and we just pushed in, pushed in, pushed in to the, we are inside. But they, uh, when we getting inside, the soldier asked us to stop in this uh-huh. spot, but we can see the people just keep coming on us. Then we just pushed in and pushed in, cross. but we got across. But when I look behind me, when I take a look at the people, you know, how many people I see their bare feet, because that was summer. So many people, they were wearing the flip flop and the sandal and because there's a people stepping on each other and they have no shoes they are bare feet yeah that was pretty bad but we got inside we have a we have a longer story about what happened after that and uh, we can see we have no time our time limit is finished we will come back to you guys about the rest of the story Okay. Uh, thank you for listening. Yeah,
0: thank you for sharing. Well, wow, that's quite a powerful story. We've got some questions in the queue, so I'm just gonna ask them. But the camera the quality of the camera is really quite bad and I'm afraid we're gonna lose the connection again. Can you turn off the video so that we only have audio? Because the camera quality coming through is really bad. And that way at least we can hear you speak. Yeah, thank you. Can you still hear me? We can hear you perfectly. Yeah, perfect. OK, that's great. Um, our first question comes from Knut Peterson. How was the Taliban able to regain power that easily in Afghanistan?
1: Say again, sorry.
0: How was the Taliban able to regain power that easily in Afghanistan?
1: <laughs> that's a loaded question. <laughs> yep. You want an honest question or just they give it to them?
0: Yeah, go ahead.
1: Yeah, they give it to them. They they didn't take over Afghanistan. They give it to them. They are give it to them because they thought they're going to run that country better. If anyone say the Taliban take over Afghanistan, it's just a lie. They give it to them. Because okay. someone else decides today can run better, hundred percent.
0: That's the short answer.
1: Yeah,
0: I'm sure. We can
1: take over Afghanistan.
0: Good. Our next question comes from Mark Goodell. Amazing story. Thank you for sharing. Is the rest of your family still in Afghanistan? And if so, are there plans for them to leave? Would this be possible during this time?
1: Uh my big my big big brother, he's a uh, he's in Abu Dhabi right now. What happened? Janelle uh helped him uh after I, after he contacted me multiple times when I was in a Doha and he's like, What I'm gonna do in this city? I have no money, I have no job, and I left the military just the the days Herat fall down, and the Taliban was announcing anyone serving the military and work for the government they supposed to uh, surrender themselves to the government to the taliban government and that time he did it and they have his name and his contact number and his house address everything but we was lucky to janelle was uh, and that time when i was in doha she was working for the one of the ngu helping people left in afghanistan after the august 30 which is the operation of the evacuation was done in August 30. And they helped and Janelle actually put my brother on the list and uh, that Inju took my brother out of Afghanistan with his wife and two daughter from mazar sharif with this charter flight. And now he's in the Abu Dhabi. But my dad and my big brother, which is two years older than me, with, my, with, my, with one of my sister, They're in Afghanistan, they're okay. they're okay. they're safe. But the only issues is the economy's collapse. They got a bad economy issues, Mm -hmm. but I'm supporting them.
2: We still are trying to figure out how uh, Doha, if you've been following it, is kind of a really gong show by uh, multiple reasons. But because he's uh, his brother, Ali, is registered with the American process we can't get him out we don't we have to somehow get him to the canadian process but it's um, it's a gong show so and we're still dealing with maudi's case so when now that he's in canada we did let the canadian government know that he has a brother and family in doha but moving on from there we're not like we're still in
0: that process of dealing with that um, our next question comes from bridge city news can you explain the process it took to get into canada what can the Canadian government government do better in bringing the refugees, bringing in refugees into the country? Trudeau says dealing with the Taliban has been tough. So that's actually three different questions. Do you <laughs> want, do you want, do you want to take them one at the time? Um. Sure. Uh, so Mahdi actually
2: ended up coming to Canada, I believe, March 24th, not April 11th. Or was it? Yeah, it was March twenty fourth. We crossed the. I went down. He was he was in a place there wasn't a lot of support for them. It. They were in a town that was. um, Let's just
1: be clear. Just clear this. Sorry. Okay. I evacuated uh, after Afghanistan. I evacuated to the Doha, then Doha to United States, and that's why I was working for the United States. I have a case for the United States there, and I was able to apply for the uh green card which is i have a green card interview on the june 1st the next few days Mm -hmm. but i am
2: abandoned
1: yeah abandoned that and also i gave up my american uh uh, green card for the canadian permanent residency
2: right but but we ended up bringing him to canada uh for support and there's lots of ptsd and our family and our community all his support is here in canada it's been six years you know, so I just went down, I put them in my car <laughs> and I drove them across. As soon as we got to the border, we kind of, I said, this is my husband. Um, we sh- we had all our papers ready, all our military papers and they were so accommodating and so gracious. And But the only thing that I would say that has been kind of a nightmare is we are in northern, like central interior BC. We're not in the greater Vancouver area where all the services are. So we have a couple processes that we are, you know, it's total foreign to us. For instance, him getting his driver's license. They, are, they wouldn't give him his driver's license because he had to prove his history. And they're like, well, can you please get it from the, your government? And I'm like, okay, let me just email the Taliban and see if they can send us our, his, you know, it, things like that. And so we've had to navigate through that. In terms of government-wise, um, Justin Trudeau, be, um, we're still very much in the raw stages of final, ed. he still has, he's got a visa, um, but, his case has not been fully, like he hasn't got his work visa yet and or his permanent residency, which we're told takes about three months. But so we're still in the midst of that. And if you would ask us that question, maybe three months from now, and we've you know then gone through the hoops and the hurdles, we probably could answer that question with a little more clarity at that time. There are definitely some issues, but we're not ready to answer those at this moment.
0: Right. Um, there's a Did lot I get of, all three questions? Yeah, the last one yeah. is, uh, Trudeau says, dealing with the Taliban has been tough.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah.
0: OK. Um, Mark Goodall has another visa question uh, regarding the initial visa in your story when you entered the United, Embas- United States Embassy. Did you ever get an explanation as to why your initial st- visa was cancelled when they put no, a black stamp on they, it?
1: No, they didn't give me any answer, which is after, after I left the embassy, the inquiry, uh, they didn't answer my inquiry. My friend, Mark Cyrus, and also my other two POC, American POC, they contact embassy they actually called the embassy
2: well they they went through their senators
1: yeah yeah but they didn't got an answer because the embassy was on the pressure of the time of just evacuate and uh, issue the visa for those people is actually left but this guy's because he got uh, some paper issues just he can't wait but we have uh, most people like uh, more people to evacuate and uh, giving the visa and issue the visa.
2: It eventually I, got cleared because he couldn't yeah. get to Canada or to the U.S. without it being cleared. Yes. Yeah. Um, but it took just took the, the process and in the um, while well, he was being processed in Doha. When I was
1: in the Doha, they took me to the process, which is a lot of people was in that process too. They took me to the process and they cleared that.
0: Okay. Um, the next question is from Knut Peterson. Regarding my first question, and I'll just read that his first question was how was the Taliban able to regain power that easily in Afghanistan? So he follows up by saying, regarding my first question, that's what I suspected when you answered. Taking that answer further, are you, are there anyone or country in particular to blame for that handover to the Taliban?
1: The person actually asked this question. He already know the answer.
0: I suspect so. Yes. <laughs> yeah.
1: Let, let's say, let's say he know that. And also he already know that.
0: Okay. Great yeah. answer yeah yeah <laughs> a great answer there you go Knut. okay that was it for the questions in the queue we've got quite a lot of thank yous penny um alfred thank you s- for sharing your amazing story uh Mandel, thank you for telling us your riveting story wishing you all the best in canada and that to you and and that your brother joins you um hopefully, oh, hopefully. yes we, we all hope that. Um, thank you very much on behalf of SACPA for joining us today. Before we wrap up the session, um, do you have a take-home message for us? <laughs> um, well,
2: <laughs> uh, just reflecting back on it all in the journey, um, I would just say that for myself, uh, I've never had to take inventory of my priorities in such a manner. Even just me and my the small town home girl in northern BC, how, uh, working with the NGOs and the evacuation process, and and then also dealing with Madi, and that whole process that um, family, um, family. Uh, is so important, and that um, there are some things that we like in our current current political climate that we think are major issues, which are minor. Those are not the things that we need to be worrying about. So that's just um, you can you can speculate, you know, d- interpret that how you'd like, but you definitely. Uh, appreciate the countries that that you're from and uh and then also take inventory of what what's important and what's not important and what's
0: streaming your news feeds thank you um we've got uh, a couple more messages come in or one more message come in from penny uh says Mm -hmm. i hope you can come back and speak to us again when you get more settled it was nice to see you both and uh, i know before the live stream we talked about the possibility of um an update once uh everything settles for you so i'm sure sakpa will come back to you in a year or so there's definitely there is definitely a part two but uh and we would love to share it with you when the time is right lovely we'd love to have you and folks out there we hope you'll join us next week thursday for Dwayne brett uh, who will be speaking to us on um, how alberta likely how are albertans likely to be affected by the recent ucp leadership review Um, we look forward to that and with that i'll end the live streaming thanks very much for joining us